Interlude 2. Here the journal splintered off into unrecognizable markings, similar to the seven inscriptions I had noticed earlier. In the years since my initial reading of the journal, I've sent photographs of the inscriptions to several philologists in both America and in Europe. One expert in Celtic, what is commonly referred to as Gaelic, believed them to be ohms, though he could not decipher the message of the inscriptions. I do not believe them to be ohms at all, but some language of enchantment unique to Theoda. I discovered over time the mystery of the inscriptions found within the journal bear out in other ways more subtle to our experience. And what I mean by that is that these strange word letters from another world do not read like a sentence. They are, as it were, an expression of an idea, the form and movement of knowledge, rather than a simple word. But, anyway, moving on to the next entries. I found Will's subsequent entry several pages further on, the images of which exploded into the room. Barely did I utter even a word from the page. Did I mention that I was seated back in the great room by the fireplace? (laughs) Well, my apologies, I was. And I was also still reticent of building a fire there for fear of, well... I'm sure you know certainly well why I didn't want to go near the fireplace with wood and match. Where where was I? (laughs) Oh, yes. After thumbing through the pages of the iconographic writing, Will's entry exploded into the room with such force it sent me and my chair reeling backwards. It was a violent blast and completely unexpected. From the floor, I looked up to the bookshelf from which Will had taken the case of journals. It was then I noticed that the rows upon rows of books were not books at all, but an entire wall of journals. So, what was so special about this one, you ask? Well, I'm sure we can all admit that the possibility of there being another journal capable of igniting an entire room with magic images derived from the words contained on its pages is unlikely at best. But I digress yet again. My epiphany drew my attention away from the journal I was reading to the hundreds of journals on the shelves. But then I spied, next to where Will had pulled the set of journals, a lone book that stood in the corner perfectly upright. I rose to my feet and pushed the leather chair back to its position. I picked up Will's journal, closed it, and walked over to the bookshelf. I pushed the ladder to the far left of the bookcase and climbed to where the lone volume stood tight against the end of the shelf. Perhaps any other book standing alone, and only balanced on one side, might have fallen over. But this book, a slight volume with an indigo spine and gold lettering, remained unmoved. Curious, I reached for it, placing my palm on the exposed side, intending to slide it out. But the book did not budge. Perhaps time and moisture caused it to stick to the end of the bookshelf, so I gave it a tug, nearly throwing myself off balance. The book gave just a bit, tilting forward but stopped hard and made a clicking sound. Then, somewhere behind the bookshelf, I heard a louder clanking sound, like the bolt of a door locking, or in this case, unlocking. And with a rather startling creak, the entire left side of the bookcase wall gave way and pivoted inward, revealing a vestibule. The bookcase was a door.
I scampered down the ladder and stepped into the open chamber, my fingers tingling with anxious curiosity. Or was it fear? The dim light from the fireplace room did little to guide my steps, and I nearly fell forward when my feet stumbled down a step. I threw my hands forward to brace myself and found the wall. It was cold and damp to the touch. My fumbling echoed in the chamber, so I could only guess how high the ceiling rose and how far down the steps led into the darkness. Still without my phone or any source of light, I decided to take a few steps down and see if it led to another room or door or was just a dead end. My eyes adjusted, but I still saw only the soft light falling on the charcoal walls. I heard a constant drip of water. Hmm. Perhaps this is the well room, I thought. Or a passage to one of those old underground streams that you read about in books. I thought of Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole for what seemed an eternity, and how her little misstep led to such an adventure. I fancied myself Alice's brother, already on a strange adventure myself, and one continuing to expand into something new at every turn. It had taken me all of three days to get to this point in the journal, and now this. The stairwell grew pitch black. I reached out in front of me and slowly eased down another step and found it to be a landing. I inched forward, waving both hands in front of me like a blindfolded child searching for a donkey on which to pin the tail. My hands found a wall, but not a wall, for it was not stone, nor was it iron or steel. This, whatever it was, was wooden. I slid my hands carefully over the surface. The wood felt smooth and hard, as if sanded by the passing of time. Then, my right hand found a primitive latch. I lifted it and the wooden surface swung open and I felt a rush of cool air. Air that tasted like autumn, sweet yet bitter. I kept to the right side of the opening or room or whatever laid before me, feeling my way in the darkness. I took three steps and ran into a table, hitting my right knee on the corner. I felt around on the surface and found a small square object. It was metal of some kind, aluminum or steel perhaps. I picked it up in the darkness and then recognized the shape. Ha! Huh, a Zippo! I said out loud, my voice echoing in the deep chamber. And it was. I opened it and snapped the flint and it lit immediately. The warm flame light exposed the edges of a room bigger than the flame could illuminate. But there on the table sat a beautiful lantern, a custom piece of steel that mimicked the gas lanterns I encountered when I parked the rover in front of Blackthorn several days ago. The bending metal formed a wolf's mouth, opening around the open glass of the lantern, as if the wolf was about to eat the flame. I lit the wolf lantern, and the space came to life as the light gently pushed the darkness away, revealing an extraordinary room of more shelves and tables and chairs and an iron wood stove set deep in the room, its flue connected to a hole in the concrete wall. A cot or daybed or whatever you care to call it set off in the right corner of the room, about ten feet from the stove, and it looked recently used. In the center of the room sat a large square table with an enormous map stretched from end to end. <laughs> Boy, if the Smithsonian ever caught wind of this artifact, I thought. I found two more wolf lanterns and lit them, and decided to get a fire going and have a longer look around. With the fire crackling and the smell of burning cedar filling the chamber, I inspected the map. It detailed the land of Theuda, 
the place from which Aelin claimed to have come. I recognized the Sawtooth Ridge from Aelin's story, and the forest of the Bronaborn, and the firefalls. And then there was the unnamed mountain, which rests to the northernmost point in the lands of Ternak, beyond the Edgewood. But other places were new to me, like the Sapphire Shore to the northwest, and Finian's Copse and Fortress. The southern lands below the firefalls were labeled Borderlands. On the southernmost edge of the Borderlands laid a large gem. I'm not good with my gems, but this one was dark purple, nearly solid in color, opaque, and the size of my fist. I picked it up thinking perhaps the map might roll up, and that the gem was used as a paperweight. But the map held in place as I noticed it was pegged in the corners. A marker, I said to myself, quizzically inspecting the fantastic stone. Under the gem, the letters S.P. was scribbled and underlined. Springer's Pass, I exclaimed, as I set the journal on the map and tried to page back to where Aelin had first mentioned Springer's Pass. But as soon as I set the book down, the fire flared up and startled me so much I stepped away from the map and journal. Then a wind from nowhere flung the journal open, the pages flapped violently, and again the room exploded with light. The purple gem I held in my right hand glowed translucently. That's when I noticed another smaller gem near the unnamed mountain on the map, about half the size of the purple one. It, too, glowed, but with a deep red. As if the light and gems were not enough, a deep and terrible sound shook the room. It felt as though it rumbled beneath my feet, and for a split second, the rumble sounded like a word or a voice or something like the two but I could not decipher either and move further away from the table. Then, images from the journal took shape and I saw Will, now running along the ridgeline in the deep snow, chasing after a man far ahead of him. I stood entranced in the light as the story unfolded in me as much as before me.